Philippians chapter 4, and I want you to see something in verse 2. Philippians 4, verse 2. The Apostle Paul writes this, I implore Iodia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. How embarrassing. Two ladies, apparently, maybe not getting along so well. And so when Paul writes this letter, he calls them out. Would you two ladies get along? Can you imagine what it would have been like if you were one of those ladies? If Paul were to write a letter to the church today, the church of Carnes, and um, maybe we have one of the elders get up and and we're going to sit and listen as he reads the letter of the Apostle Paul to the congregation. And if Paul would have said in one of those chapters in a letter to the church of Carnes, Steve, Kim, please, start behaving. Would you all get along? Do you not know what you're doing to the church? Please behave yourselves as husband and wife. I would be wanting to sink under the seat. I mean, that I would attract the attention of the Apostle Paul in that kind of a negative setting. Man, that would be awful. Again, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul calls out two other members of the church, Alexander and Hymenaeus. He said, I've had to discipline them. I've delivered them to Satan because they were blasphemers. But again, imagine being Christians, members of the church, and having an apostle call you out in one of his letters that's going to be around till the Lord comes again. Then there are modern examples. There are stories of treasurers who through the course of time embezzle a little bit of money here and there as they uh, take care of the treasury, that uh, the collection that we just uh, uh, offered. And uh, eventually it comes to light. They have stolen, skimmed off the top two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars $300,000. Shameful. And then there are um, two brothers in the church, brothers in Christ, who can't resolve their differences to the point that they begin to take up teams to build a team. You know how when you're a child you you pick teams and you say, well, I pick him and it's your turn to pick and and you try to pick the best players on your team. And, And that's the way they do with the church. I've got a conflict. He's on this side. I'm on this side. I need to get the good guys on my side. And so we go about politicking in the church to have, have people see things my way and not his way. I, I, I need to win this battle. The church suffers as a result. Um, Christians, members of the church, gossiping about each other, telling things that they've heard. You know what this person did? You know what that person did? No concern, apparently, for the person. They've never gone to them to talk about their grievous sin. But they sure are anxious, it seems, to talk about that sin to other people. 
churches where the truth is compromised. We don't stand where we used to stand. And even congregations who make public declarations and and make position statements to the effect that we were wrong in the past, we were sectarian in our thinking, we were wrong in our positions, our conclusions, we have restudied, and here are the positions that we now believe and endorse and practice. And they stand in contradiction to the scriptures. The list can go on and on, but these are things that happen in church that should never happen in church. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. What do we do and how do we handle it when things happen in church that should never happen in church? It's nothing new. I mean, again, Paul calls out these two ladies in the book of Philippians. He calls out two men in the book of 1 Timothy. And he might call some of us out today as well. I'll tell you what happens when we have things that happen in church that should never happen in church. It discourages people. They get frustrated. They leave. They look elsewhere. They, they, they church hop, as it's been uh, known. Uh, all, there are all sorts of things that happen when people get frustrated with church. What do we do? How do we handle it when things aren't just so? When things happen that should never happen? Well, I have four or five suggestions for you this morning that I'd like for us to look at uh, from the Scriptures. Number one, when things happen at church that should never happen at church, here's one thing we should do. Let's make sure that our expectations are realistic. What do you expect from the church? If you're expecting a group of people who have all their problems solved and who are perfect in their behavior, in their words, in their actions, in their thoughts all the time, and they never hurt each other, and they never talk about each other, and they never say things or do things that would um, cause another person to stumble, you have an unrealistic expectation of church. Church is people, and people are imperfect. We have to understand that there will be no church that is the perfect church. I can't look across town and find the perfect church because the one I'm in isn't perfect right now. Uh, have a proper expectation of what we're, we're getting into. Uh, we have been sanctified when we're baptized into Christ. But that sanctification, there's another sense in which it is an ongoing thing. We are continuing to be sanctified, to be made more holy. The more I conform myself into the image of Jesus, every day that I do that, I become more and more sanctified. But that's a process, not an event. Yes, there was an event of sanctification and baptism, but there's an ongoing process of sanctification as I try to live out and be a disciple of Jesus. And so when I see things in church that aren't what they should be, I need to first say, but what do I expect? Of course things aren't always going to be the way they should be. Because we're people, we're human, we're prone to failure, we're weak. And and here's the reason why it's important to realize that. Someone once said that disillusionment is the child of illusion. I agree with that. 
If you have the illusion that the church is perfect, that, you know, if you were to come here in the evening, you might see the glow of the halo above this building. You know, if the, if the lighting's just right, doesn't happen. You go to a Christian college, and surely at a Christian college, you're going to find, I mean, there's the Ark of the Covenant there or something holy there, isn't there? I love Christian college, but if you think that there's no sin in Christian colleges, you're mistaken. If you think there's no sin in churches, you're mistaken. We're people. And my expectations need to be what within the, the realm of, of what is fair and um, reasonable. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 says, <clears throat> For all of sin. There's none righteous, no, not one. Uh, verse 23, For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Uh, so when sin happens at church... Okay, let's deal with it. Don't let it knock you off your heels. Don't let it make you want to quit. Turn your back and go somewhere else or or give up on God. That's expected. It happened then, and it was dealt with. And and that's what we need to do today. If things aren't the way they should be, we, we deal with it. We don't abandon God. Here's a second thing that will help us when things happen at church that shouldn't ever happen at church. Remember that Paul warned, well, Paul warned us, Paul warned the church that there would be suffering that comes from the inside. We have threats externally. Our culture threatens us. We live in a society right now that just uh, seems to have abandoned the Word of God and running from it as fast as they can run. Things that are being promoted today that never would have been promoted 50 years from uh, ago. We're trying to decide whether or not we will permit homosexual marriages in our nation today. That never would have been thought a generation ago. The the number of abortions, uh, partial birth abortion, and and all the things that take place. Our society, the the kind of movies that are seen today, the ratings on movies are not the same that they were 40, 50 years ago. Our, our society challenges, but that's not our real challenge. I mean, because the world's always been the world. It's always going to be the world. The church has always been a called out people. We're, we're always going to be different from the world, and we're always going to have higher standards than the world. That's to be expected. I'll tell you, our true battle is not on the outside. It's on the inside. That's where the biggest struggle comes. And Paul told us that. Do you remember what he said when he met with the Ephesian elders in Miletus in Acts chapter 20? He he was going to see them for the last time. And he said, let me tell you something. From among your own selves will enter grievous wolves who won't spare the flock. From among your own selves. That's our biggest battle today. To realize that there has been in times past and there will be and there is 
problems within the church that threaten the church. We're not so much threatened by homosexual marriage. We're not so much threatened by immorality in society, unjust wars, whatever you might want to say. Those things don't threaten us nearly as much as pride, jealousy, um, gossip, backbiting, uh, anger, division in the church. Those are the things that challenge us more than anything. We need to be aware that God said a long time ago that there would be problems in the church. So when we run across one of these problems, we don't faint, we don't faint away, we don't run away, we, we deal with it. Um, I, I heard the story not too long ago and, and wrote just a, a little bit about it the other day, but when Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War years, um, he had a general, uh, McClellan, and he was head of the Union forces. And McClellan just didn't take the attack like Lincoln wanted him to. He was, he was very passive and he, he was always clamoring, I need more men, I need more troops, I need, I, I don't want to go into battle yet, I need more and more, and, and was always making excuses, at least from Lincoln's perspective, as to why not to engage the enemy. And Lincoln would get so frustrated on occasion, he famously commented to McClellan, listen, if you're not using the army, could I borrow it for a while? Um, that's the level of frustration to, you know, his highest general. On one occasion, Lincoln and the Secretary of State went to McClellan's rented house to meet with him, to talk to him about strategy and pursuing and being a little more aggressive. And so he wasn't at home. He was at a wedding. And and so he was told, Lincoln was told, to go into the parlor and sit down and await his return. It was a couple hours later. McClellan came home from the wedding And he was met outside and said that President Lincoln is in the house. The Secretary of State is in the house. They're in the parlor. They're waiting on you. And McClellan goes in his house through the side door, goes straight upstairs, and goes to bed. Leaves him in the parlor until some servant comes and says, Excuse me, Mr. President, General McClellan has gone to bed. The Secretary of State was furious. He demanded that Lincoln fire McClellan on the spot. I mean, who has that kind of insolence? That, that, that was such contemptible behavior. And he said, fire this man. You know what Lincoln said? He said, now is not the time to get caught up with etiquette. If I could hold the reins of McClellan's horse, I would do so if it meant victory. We need men and women in the church who have the attitude of Lincoln. If it means victory, yeah, I can go without having my way. If it means victory, yeah, I'm going to drop this. If it means victory, yeah, I'm not going to pursue this thing. I don't have to. Do you love the cause of Christ greater than any personal issue of pride or justification um, 
or or defending one's rights to certain uh, certain things. When things happen at church that should never happen at church, I want you to make sure that your expectations are real. We're people. I also want you to make sure that um, you understand that this was told a long time ago. These things would happen. But here's the third thing I want you to understand. Consider that the church needs grace. We're good, I believe, at extending grace to one another. Um, when a person humbles themselves and says, you know, I've, I've messed up, I've made a mistake. I don't know very many people who are seriously trying to be disciples of Jesus who would say, I'm not going to forgive you. Uh, those who really want to be disciples of Jesus would immediately extend grace and forgiveness and forgive one who's humbled himself. That's what disciples do. That's what Jesus did. But do we extend grace to churches as freely and as willingly as we do to individuals? Churches need grace too. Churches sometimes make mistakes in their good intentions and well-meaning, a collective body of people can make mistakes as well as individuals can. How do we treat them? How do we treat a church when a church makes a mistake? Do we treat them with the same outpouring of grace and mercy and long-suffering that we do when an individual makes a mistake? We need to. James 2 and verse 13 reminds us that grace will be dispensed in the same proportion that we dispense it to others. If I'm not going to be a gracious person, God's grace is not going to be given to me. If I want grace, I better learn how to to be gracious myself. Consider and remember that churches, not just as individuals, but even collectively, sometimes in their best intentions, make mistakes. Be patient with them. Be gracious with them. Be long-suffering with them. Churches need grace, too. And then here's the last point that I want to make this morning, and that is this. When you see things that happen at church that should never happen at church, then become proactive. And enlist yourself in the solution. Oh, hey, you don't see, you see something you don't like. You see something that's being ignored. Well, here's Grecian widows, Acts chapter 6. There's some widows who are being neglected. Uh, the church is helping Jewish widows. Yeah, we're here in Jerusalem where all these Jews are. And they'll help their own widows, but they won't help any of the Grecian Widows, what kind of a place is this? Bunch of hypocrites. People not loving these women just because of their, their background. They'll, they'll help the Jewish women, but they won't help the, the Grecian women. What kind of a church is this? Prejudiced? They could have gone off on that. They could have split that church right down the middle over that issue. It was wrong. But you know what? Someone decided, we're not just going to talk about this. We're going to do something to fix it. And so they went to the apostles and they said, listen, we've got a problem in this church. 
These widows are being neglected, and it shouldn't be so. And so you know what the apostles did? Take care of it. And the people were authorized to take care of it. It was taken care of. A problem was squelched. No more problem. It was fixed. It was fixed because somebody didn't just talk about it. They enlisted themselves and made themselves a part of the solution. If you see a problem at church, don't just... You know, there are certain kind of dogs. Some are called pointers and some are called retrievers. We need more retrievers and less pointers, I guess. Or maybe we need a good balance of both. Um, it's okay to, to point out problems. And that's easy. It's not hard to see when you see a problem. Oh, that shouldn't be that way. Oh, that, that needs fixed. That needs taken care of. It's easy to do that. But when you pointed them out, then what? I know what they did in the New Testament church. They fixed it. They went to the proper authority and they fixed it. They didn't talk about it or grumble about it. They, they saw it. They said, we've got to fix this. Let's fix it. It was identified and it was resolved. The same thing needs to be done today. When things happen at church that should never happen at church, we need to enlist ourselves as part of the solution. What can I do to fix it? How can I use my talents to um, to alleviate the problem? Do I have a set of skills that are a- appropriate for that? You know, if, if there were people who were being neglected today and they were going hungry, I, I wouldn't be a good cook. Some of you women might be able to jump in there and do that. I could run to McDonald's and do that. But whatever it is, do it. Fix it. Let's get busy and take care of the problems that that we can put our fingers on. Uh, Someone once said, don't curse the darkness. Light a candle. And, And that's the attitude we should have. If you see something that isn't what it ought to be, well, then fix it. Enlist yourself and try to help it be resolved. And so, you know, the lesson this morning is just a reminder that the church of Jesus Christ, even though it is the express wisdom of God, it is imperfect in its human side because we're imperfect But God has enough confidence and enough love and enough trust in his people that we will be genuine disciples of Jesus that he said, all right, guys, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put in your hands the gospel of Christ. Now, you take care of it. It's the most precious thing in the world. It's the difference between heaven and hell for people. And I want you to take that because I trust you. I want you to take that to the lost I want you to take this throughout the world. I want you to use this in a way that people will come to know of me. And, and you don't have forever. Don't don't play around with it. Don't take it home and sit it on the, the mantle. I, I need this. I need this gospel to be used, to be spread throughout the world. And I trust you to do it. What tremendous trust. Uh, would you give some priceless thing to... Your young child who's prone to stumble and fall, would you give them a a glass vase to take down the road or a rocky road? Uh, Probably not. 
Because you know that four-year-old's prone to stumble, and he might drop it and break it. God knows us. We're prone to stumble. But he has trusted us enough that he said, I'm going to put in your hands the most important treasure in the world, and I trust you to do what's right by it. Let's be the church that God expects us to be and trust us to be. Let's not let anything sidetrack us. In the days of the Apostle Paul, when he wrote letters, he sometimes had to call people out in the congregation. Ladies, I'm begging you, get along with each other. Hymenaeus and Alexander... Don't let them disturb you. They, they have blasphemed God and I've delivered them over to Satan. Let's deal with the problems and let's keep moving forward. If the church is to be successful today, it needs to take the same approach. You'll never find a perfect church. But you will find churches who, when they see problems, see imperfections, uh, who enlist themselves to fix it. Let's be that church. When we see problems... Let's not just talk about it. Let's roll up our sleeves and let's go to work. Because, well, practically speaking, it it helps us here in this location. But beyond that, it helps God to fulfill his mission. He's entrusted us with the gospel. And if we're divided, we can't stand. We can't do what he wants us to do. We need to be united, a church that lives and works and strives to be more and more like Jesus every day. I hope that um, as we talk about these things, we, we're challenged to um, live better lives. We're not perfect, but that is not an excuse for imperfection. God doesn't, you know, sometimes we say, well, you know, we're just humans, we're imperfect. God is not content with imperfection. Oh, he's made provision for it, but he's not content with it. And if you find yourself in a state where you have been imperfect this week, you've done things that have brought shame upon the church, upon you, upon Christ, humble yourself. Realize God can't accept you in that position, but he will accept you if you humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. He's made provision for those imperfections. If you need to respond to the invitation saying, I've not lived up to my responsibility and the trust that God has given me as a member of the body of Christ, and I want to do better, we'll pray with you to that end. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you're tired of living in the world, you're tired of what you see, the way the world conducts itself, why don't you allow yourself to be called out of the world and into the body of Christ by God, his gospel, and begin to live at a higher, nobler level and live with the purpose of bringing glory to Christ. We'll baptize you into Christ if that's your desire this morning, if you'll come as we stand together and sing.